0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you Know Your Bible. Good morning welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here again this week as we try to answer some of your questions. And uh, that's what we do each week is answer viewers' questions. If you're a first time viewer, let me explain how we operate here. Uh, you'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of your screen. Use those anytime you want to to communicate to us. Uh, tell us what you want us to talk about on Know Your Bible. A lot of religious TV programs tell you what they think you need to know. Uh, this one's a little bit different. We answer what you think you need to know. Uh, we want you to know the Bible, and all of you get different kinds of questions. Some people worry about a specific verse. What's that mean? Or is this doctrine in the Bible? And other people are just uh, got things going on in life. They're fighting battles against this old world and they wonder what the Bible has to say about that. So uh, we try to find answers to all those kind of questions for you and help you know your Bible a little bit better. So if you got a question, something you've always wondered about or maybe something we talk about today will stir a question in your mind, uh, just pick up that phone or go to the computer, log on and uh, give us that question. We'll get it answered for you as soon as we can. Uh, we always start with a question for our viewers, and let's see if we can get that up here today. Name Joseph's first owner in Egypt. Joseph uh, went to Egypt under bad conditions, and somebody bought him since he was a slave. Who was that first owner? So my friend Toby Levering is back to help me answer questions, and uh, I think I drew the first one today, Toby. All right. I'll so, let you take uh, it. <laughs> I guess I'll get us, get us started here. And the viewers got a good question. He said, now that Jesus is glorified, does he know the day of his second coming? He didn't know it when he was on earth. Well, our viewers are correct about that. Let's make sure he's correct and look at that verse in Matthew chapter 24. Somebody asked Jesus about when the last day was, the end of time, and he said, "No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, not the sun." but only the Father. In fact, he, so he was telling him, no, I said, I don't even know when the end of time is. Uh, my Father knows that. Well, our viewer read that and then said, well, now that Jesus is back in heaven, uh, did God share that with him? Does he know the answer? Well, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, there's no comment about that to, made, whether he knows or not. Uh, since there's no statement in the Bible, I can't say definitively that he does. Uh, I think he probably does, uh, We think of Jesus and the Father and all that kind of in physical terms, but they're spiritual beings. Uh, Jesus took a fleshly body for a while, and when he did, he laid aside part of his divinity somehow. And that's a great mystery to us, how he could be fully man and fully God. Uh, But one instance of it is this question. He said while he was on earth, he didn't know about the end of time. Now that he is perfectly united in the Trinity as a spirit being, again, I think he probably knows about the end of time. But Bible doesn't say, and since we try to answer from the Bible, uh, that's the answer. We can't tell you for sure, but uh, I think they're so perfectly united as one that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they know the same things now. So uh, I think that's the answer on that one. Okay.
1: A viewer wants to know about baptism, and they ask the question what if someone can't be baptized? Well, sounds like a viewer has been watching the program long enough to know that we teach. Basically, what the Bible teaches, uh, that baptism by immersion is what the word means, is essential as part of the salvation process. Uh, It's not the last step of becoming a Christian. It's the first step on your journey with the Lord. And Jesus commanded it, and the apostles commanded it, and they practiced it. And we don't have any examples of somebody becoming a Christian without it. And so maybe the viewer is sitting at home, and they're probably in one of two situations. One is uh, they're a person who likes to dream up hypotheticals because they they go to a church that doesn't teach this, and so they come up with all sorts of what-ifs. And the other is a person sitting at home, and they are maybe bedridden or they're in the hospital or they have someone that they're connected to that is in a precarious health situation, and going under the water is just not going to happen. For some reason, they can't get under the water, and they are genuinely concerned. In both of these situations, whether it's a hypothetical or it's a a real physical predicament uh, that the viewer or someone that they know is in, uh, these are unique scenarios. And in unique scenarios, we have to trust uh, that God is a righteous judge. He's going to make exactly the right call, and he will work that out exactly right. He knows the person's heart. He knows if they were sincere in their trust and belief in the Lord and if and their desire to be baptized if they simply weren't able to God's going to handle that exactly right and I don't know how he's going to handle it the bible doesn't say and God you know it's he has as all judges do the power of clemency which is the power to make the call the power to say I know this is what this says and this says here's what I'm going to say and he has the absolute authority to do that so my instruction to you is uh if you're in the real life predicament where you can't simply you desire to you 're sincere you you're honest about it you you believe that it 's necessary you trust in the Lord, but you just can't get in the water but well, you're just going to have you have no other option i suppose than to trust in the goodness and the righteousness of God, but if you're just sitting at home dream dreaming up hypotheticals on what on possible ways that baptism couldn't be necessary. And I think you're wasting your time and a lot of energy trying to ignore the plain, simple teaching of Scripture. Um, And so, ultimately, on those things, it's going to come down to God knows your heart. And He's going to know uh, whether you were sincere or just um, trying to make excuses. Now, this is what the instruction was given to Saul. uh, When he was ready to become a Christian, Uh, here's where the instructions given to him. And these are the instructions I give to every viewer, whatever your situation. From Acts chapter 22, verse 16, the scripture reads this way. And now, why do you wait, rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name? (coughs) If you can do that, and you know from scripture that you (coughs) ought to do that, that's the right thing to do. And if you can't, God knows that you can't, and he's going to handle that exactly right.
0: All righty, excellent answer there. (coughs) Good advice. Uh, Viewers have been reading the Old Testament and stumbled on Exodus 25, and it talks about punishing children. And our viewer says, Explain that. That doesn't sound right to me. So let's just read the verse, and I agree. It does sound, it's got a strange sound to it. Uh, (laughs) Exodus 25, God said, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations, of those who hate me. Now, let's leave that up there just for a second. We read the first part, and it says God's going to punish children three and four generations after their father's sin. And that just doesn't sound right. That sounds bad to us. But make sure you read the last few words there. He's talking about those who hate him, he's talking about those who reject him and don't believe he is God. And do everything to blaspheme and defame and ignore Jehovah God. So we're talking about people who say there is no God. And they don't believe in him and don't trust him for anything. So that's who we're talking about. All right, now let's see if we can figure it out. If he's talking about people who deny him, that verse is more of a statement of fact than it is a a promise to really punish children. If you look in the world and watch, uh, when someone turns against God, when a generation or a family or a country, for that matter, uh, denies God and denies or revokes Him completely, uh, the ramifications of that go on for generations. Uh, People suffer for generations. Uh, It takes about three or four generations uh, for a family, country, person, whatever, to come back to realize that God is God. Uh, So if, if you look through history and you see nations or civilizations or governments or something that deny God, they suffer for three or four generations at least, and maybe more than that. So I think that verse can be taken more as a statement of fact. This is the way that you deny God, and it's going to mess things up for generations. Now, when we study anything, we have to balance the whole Bible with itself. It's all true. And so if that verse really meant that if a father sins, uh, his great-grandchildren are going to be punished by God, then there's things in the Bible that that doesn't agree with. So let's make sure we understand uh, about regular things instead of someone turning against God, hating God, and the ramifications going on for generations. Let's look at Ezekiel 18.20, and we'll have a lot of comfort about this. The writer said in Ezekiel 18.20, The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son the righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged to him. So that principle is throughout the Bible. We are individually responsible. Uh, If our father sins, the children don't get punished spiritually for it. They may suffer the consequences. Uh, If a man is a drunk or a gambler and doesn't support his family, children are going to suffer. They're going to suffer the consequences, but they won't be blamed for his sin. They won't be held accountable for his sin. So the Bible's very, very clear about that. All the way through, it's the soul that sins, that's the one that's going to be punished. So we take that principle, and then we go back and look at Exodus 25, and he's obviously talking about uh, when someone or a group of people deny God, uh, their civilization is going to suffer for generations and we know that happens. So hopefully that explains 25 a little bit and uh God's not going around punishing grandchildren for what <laughs> their what their grandfather did. All right, let me take just a moment and tell you a good way to study the Bible. We like studying the Bible this way, answering individual questions, but uh, we know there's so many other questions that we'll never get to and so many things that you wonder about. Uh, You can study the Bible in your own home. Some people are a little afraid to do that. They've been told by somebody you can't understand that and you got to have a pastor or somebody explain it to you. No, you can sit down and understand the Word of God. Uh, we've got some free Bible study materials that we'll send to you and uh, they'll help you work your way through the Bible and learn a whole lot more about it. Uh, we got a number of different courses. What we show on the screen each week is the first course that starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. helps you understand those basic parts of your Bible then goes on to some other topics. But once you get through these eight lessons, uh, there's a lot of other study guides that we've got that we'll keep sending you, and you can you can learn a lot about your Bible. And uh, we've had lots and lots of folks go through them over the years and let us know how much they appreciate it and how much they've learned and how much more they know about their Bible. So if you're interested in that, you'll notice there's a phone number and a website down there at the bottom of the screen. All during the program, use those anytime you want. Tell us you'd like to try that free course, and we'll send you the first lesson and I'll let you get started on it. Uh, if it's something that doesn't prove helpful, uh, that you don't enjoy, that's fine. Just uh, just stop, and we won't bother you in any way. But as long as you want to keep studying, we'll help you. So uh, give us a call. Let us know. All right, Toby.
1: <coughs> yeah, viewer asks, uh, when God said no one could see his face and live, then said man could see his hind parts What does that mean? Well, the specific man he was talking to there was Moses. This interaction is found in Exodus chapter 33. And the term hind parts there is found only in the King James translation. And so it's a little bit more antiquated language, and it doesn't seem to always make sense. If you're asking, what is it talking about there? The interaction with God and Moses, which we'll read on the screen in just a minute, is that you know Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory. And in essence, God says to him, you can't handle seeing my glory. And I believe that's true. I mean, every single person who's even had a vision of the dwelling place of God is just overwhelmed with fear and dread and 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 understanding of their own impurities and unholiness it is it is like coming into contact with the brightest purest whitest light you can see and it just blinds you it just it just takes you back i think this is the essence of what God's saying, I am holy, you are unholy. And so, we, you know, these two things don't mix. These are oil and water. But what he said to Moses was, I'm going to allow you to see, to get just a glimpse, to just get a, an, an idea of, of my holiness and my goodness, I'm gonna allow just part of me to pass in front of you. And so I, I think that's what he's saying. Let's look at the scripture now from Exodus chapter 33. On the screen, it says this, <clears throat> starting verse 18, Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. And this is what the King James calls the hind parts, but my face shall not be seen. And he's saying Moses, and Moses saying, you know, I, I just want to see you, Lord. I want to, I want to behold your glory. And God says, I w- effectively, I would love for that to happen, but it's not possible. So I'm going to put you in, the, in a shield of a rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to pass in front of you. And then as I'm turning away from you, you'll get the essence of me. And even that alone was overwhelming. So I think that's what he's saying uh, and that God's glory is too overwhelming for us to know. <clears throat> in the physical world. Uh, so I think that's what it means. Okay.
0: Sounds right to me. Uh viewer wants to know about uh, helping people here. Where does it say the church should help the general public? Shouldn't help be given only to Christians? Now, a lot of folks think that's kind of an odd question, and it is kind of an odd question, <laughs> but I am aware uh, that there are some religious groups that hold that belief. Uh, that the Bible doesn't tell us that we ought to help everybody. Uh, We just ought to help Christians. I don't think that's quite right. It's an extreme view, I think, and some people kind of hold the other extreme view that uh, Christians ought to only help the world, the most deprived, the most helpless, the most poor, uh, and put all of their efforts and support there. Uh, Neither one of those is... Quite right, I think most things that we talk about on this program, kind of being middle of the road, is a pretty good idea, and I think there is a verse that pretty well explains that that middle of the road on this is a is a, the best idea. Uh, Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter six and verse ten, and here's his advice: As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Well, I think he kind of prioritizes it there. Uh, we as Christians and as the church uh, ought to help everybody when we can. But obviously you can't help everybody. Uh, we don't have not, not, not enough money in the world to help everybody. And Jesus said there would always be poor people around. We're not going to eliminate poverty by handing out goods. Uh, so Paul says do good where you can to everybody but especially to the family of believers. I think that establishes a priority that Christian brothers and sisters that are having trouble, that are in dire straits, that need some kind of financial help uh, to get through a tough time, uh, come first. Help them first. Uh, If you have other funds and are able to, then do good to all people. Uh, So I think there's the principle. It's not one or the other. It's not exclusively... Uh, Those in the church or exclusively those in the world, help everybody you can, uh, but prioritize it where Christians are helped first. So Galatians 6.10, I think, establishes a pretty good principle for us, and uh, I think that's what we ought to try to follow. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, churches of Christ produce this program and support this program, keep us on the air. It's one reason we never ask for money on this program is because we're not seeking public help. Uh, we've got a lot of fine churches that help us stay on the air, and we like to mention one or two of those every week. Uh, today we're going to talk about the home church of Know Your Bible, actually uh, Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas, up on North Meridian. Uh, just north of 96. Uh, is the way to find us and uh, we produce the program. Both Toby and I attend there and Toby preaches there. uh, We've just had this television ministry for many, many years and I think it's a great way to reach out and help people know their Bible. So if you want to visit the home church of Know Your Bible, Northside is the place to come. Uh, We get a lot of folks dropping by and always happy to meet some of our viewers, happy to have them with us. So visit us anytime. Uh, of course, uh, any place that you're watching Know Your Bible, there's probably a Church of Christ in your neighborhood or area that you can get to. Uh, if you know of one or know somebody that attends one, tell them you've watched this program and learned a little bit about the Churches of Christ and appreciate them helping keep you keep us on the air. So, give us a visit sometime. Visit the Church of Christ. All right, Toby, what's your viewer want to know about here?
1: To A difficult question: Will aborted and miscarried babies go to heaven? Well, my answer to that is simply yes. Uh, there's not a scripture that says exactly that, but we gather some principles of scripture to understand some things. Number one, God is love. Number two, God always protects and watches over and watches out for the innocent. And number three, God knows even the unborn. Unborn babies are still creatures of God. He forms them together uh, in the womb, knits them together, the scripture says. Um, And some people uh, believe that babies are born sinful. We don't believe that on the program. We believe that uh, babies are born innocent and uh, that at such an age where they begin to choose disobeying God and doing things which he doesn't want that they let sin enter their life. We don't believe God creates sinful creatures. And so we look at the unborn and the newborn and the very young as absolutely innocent. Uh, and they are certainly not able to have faith as you know they uh, have the ability to believe and so forth. So uh, we just believe they are absolutely safe in God's grace. Uh, miscarriage, that's a, a simple tragedy of, of uh, not a simple tragedy, it is is—it is a terrible tragedy of living in a broken world and uh, my heart goes out to uh, all of the families that have experienced uh, such a tragedy. It's something that scars you deeply and stays with you forever. That child, uh, even though it doesn't go on living, remains in, a, in your heart, I believe, for the rest of your life, um, but you know that that child uh, is in a much better place uh, in the arms of their creator and they can uh, they they live perfectly and they're not suffering or or uh, having any problems in any sort of way uh, where they reside uh, and with abortion Certainly not God's will. It's a terrible uh, sin. God does not want innocent children to be slaughtered. Uh, But when they are, I believe they are safe. Uh, They didn't do anything to deserve that abortion. That wasn't their fault. Um, And I believe God protects them as he does all the innocent and the unborn. Let's look at Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So God knows us and He knows the onboard, and He watches over them. Uh, So difficult, but I think that's the idea.
0: All righty, thank you. Uh, Vera wants to know about the story of the prodigal son. What was the final outcome of the prodigal son's story? Uh, I heard that the angry son killed the father. Well, that's an interesting uh, story <laughs> that the viewers come up with, a completion of the story. Uh, the parable is in uh, number, Luke chapter uh, 16, you can find it, and the, or Luke chapter 15, excuse me. Uh, and Jesus tells the story, and I think everybody knows the story of the prodigal son, uh, went away and took his inheritance and wasted it and then came to his senses and came home. And uh, the father killed the fatted calf and celebrated and had a great banquet and welcomed the son home. His brother was angry. His brother was jealous. His brother said, I've been here working all this time. He's gone off and wasted everything and now you treat him like he's your son. And that's pretty much the end of the story. The father said, "Uh, you're still my son, but he's my son too. And he's come home. He was lost and now he's found. And that's the end of the story. Uh, So our viewer wants to know what happened next. Well, I think that proves how good a storyteller Jesus was. <laughs> uh, Jesus told a great story here, and some people want to know the end of it. Well, let me remind you, it's a parable. It, <laughs> it's just a story. It didn't really happen, uh, and Jesus didn't tell us anymore about it. So you're free to make up any kind of ending you want, uh, but that's not the point of the parable, not a complete story. The point of a parable, any parable, usually there's just one point, And this one is about the loving father, how much he loves his children. So read it that way and if uh, you can come up with any kind of ending you want, I guess, you're free to. But Jesus didn't finish the story. All right, Toby.
1: you you as a question about their pastor, they'd like us to get involved with. Uh, our pastor says he is an ordained minister with Christ's authority so he can forgive sins. I don't think that sounds right. Does the Bible give him that authority? Well, you uh, you are thinking correctly. That is not correct. That's not what the Bible says. I guess you could say your pastor could forgive sins if he was, one, sinless, and, two, uh, paid the price for all sin uh, with his sinless blood. But I know that he didn't. No human being ever has lived a sinless life, nor could any uh, human sacrifice ever fully pay the deep uh, abiding cost of our sin. Only the perfect sacrifice of a lamb could do that, that God himself would provide that was uh, announced through Scripture. He's the only one with the authority to forgive sins, and so how we receive forgiveness of sins is by being having faith in Him by being immersed into Him so that we are clothed with Him. When God sees us, He no longer sees us, but He sees the beautiful sacrifice of His Son uh, that was paid on our behalf. So, uh, that's the only way that sins can be forgiven. Let's look at some scriptures together on the screen. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 Timothy 2, five. there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Uh, we understand that Jesus is the only way and he's the only sacrifice for sin
0: all right let's answer our trivia question before we run out of time here who was joseph's first owner in Egypt and that was Potiphar the captain of the palace guard bought G- uh, Joseph when he came to egypt we are out of time we kind of pressed it today but we're going to be back next week and answer some more of your questions till then you have a great week the